Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs for an audience of entrepreneurs. Joining me is a longtime listener. I'm excited to have him on here. David Tintner has created a product that I don't know we could communicate clearly enough. I think you've got to see it to just be blown away by how amazing it is. I know that's what happened to me. Company name is Thought Leaders. And frankly, David, when I first heard it was Thought Leaders, I said, oh, no, this is like this social media influencer, thought leader thing. It's I dismissed it. Is that fair to say? Am I the first person to say that? Well, you bring up something really interesting, and that's the term influencer. And that's actually a term that I, I totally get why you, why you dismissed it in a term that we kind of like, we try to walk the line with where we don't consider ourselves as doing influencer marketing. What we want to do is support high quality, long form content. And, um, and I think exactly the connotation that you have about influencer marketing or influencers or that exactly what you said, I get it. I get it. It makes sense. Here's where I was blown away. I did a demo with someone on your team. This was months ago. And they said, well, why don't we just search here? I said, search for what? I said, we could do a search for anything. We scrape other podcasters. Um, we have the transcripts in our database. You could search for, say, one of your sponsors. So I did a search for one of my sponsors, HostGator, which is sponsoring this interview. I could see who else they're sponsoring and how they're doing an ad for them. I could then see which other podcasts are similar to mine and see who's sponsoring them. And what I didn't realize until my conversation with you today is you'll even give me their contact information so that I can go and pitch them and say, hey, you sponsored uh, Jason Calacanis's podcast. If it did well for you, can we talk about how you could sponsor my podcast because I've got a similar audience and you could see how well we've done for others. That's the whole idea, right? Behind thought leaders. Absolutely. Um, I mean, on the creator side, it's, it's exactly that. Um, see where brands are repeating because we all know that means it's working. No brand is continuing to spend money on stuff that isn't working. I'm sure you feel that with you know your brand clients as yep. well. Uh, so if it's working for them, find those places that are similar to yours. And then when you do outreach, because we know that outreach is so flooded today, uh, people are getting like so many cold emails. So when you're doing that outreach, it's carefully targeted. It's to the exact brand, the exact person you should be speaking to. And you're telling them, look, I have a podcast that's really similar to the podcast that I see you've run in, you know, 89 times or whatever. It's yes. clearly working for you. You should give me a chance because I have a very similar audience to them and I do similar style content. You know who I was thinking that with? There are a few of the therapist uh, apps that are out there. One of my past guests said, Andrew, you'd be perfect for it because all you do is like, you, you're like a therapist for your guests. And I thought, you know, that's absolutely right. I don't have a friend who has an in with any of these therapy apps. How do I even find the, the buyer there? And what you're saying is I can go to thoughtleaders.io, type in one of those company names, see where they're sponsoring, reach out to them and say, look, all I do is talk about like the inner workings of entrepreneurship, talk about therapy. Would Can we get on a call and talk about how you can sponsor me? Because you've obviously been sponsoring these similar podcasts. That's the whole idea behind Thought Leaders, right? Totally. I, I would take it one step further. I would say I would go look at you know, the different ones. And I would look for the ones that are repeating with entrepreneurial podcast mm. or interview style podcast, and then be able to go to them specifically instead of just blasting it across, you know, every, every possible one. I had no idea that you guys were able to even connect me with the, with those, uh, with the ad buyers. All right. That's the whole idea. We're going to find out how this uh, business was started, what he did to get money to bootstrap and why apparently it horrified some of his friends. 
won't horrify <laughs> me. We can do it all thanks to, well, to one phenomenal sponsor. This whole interview is sponsored by HostGator. They bought ads with me through the whole freaking year. And I'm so excited to tell you, if you're listening to me, why you should be hosted on HostGator the way that my site is. David, you've listened long enough that you know the first question is going to be, what's your revenue? And I, I want to get a sense of how big the business is. Yeah. Uh, this year, we want to do $7 million in revenue. And we're very, I think that's going to happen. And last year, how much did you do 2020? Last year, we finished with just over four. And where did the idea come from? I know that you and your, well, you sold your company to similar web, uh, similar web before, which I've used a lot to understand where traffic uh, to my guest sites was coming from. But how did you go from that analytics company to starting Thought Leaders? Um, yeah, so so it's a really funny story. I actually, we had TapDog. Um, TapDog was a competitive intelligence startup um, really early for its time, I think. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's doing something that, that Thought Leaders is doing today, trying to track brands, trying to track companies. But with TapDog, we started using, um, connecting all sorts of different sources. And we connected with SimilarWeb a lot and got to know the people at SimilarWeb and realized, I mean, they had a crazy source of data and was super complimentary to what we were doing. And also for where we were at in our lives at the time, I mean, it was a great decision to sell to them and to join them. And uh, the entire team moved over to work at SimilarWeb where I worked in the R&D there and learned a ton about how the internet works. Um, we, we saw basically where traffic is moving, why it's moving, um, and, and sort of what are the traffic patterns and, and interesting insights that are happening on the internet on a daily basis mm -hmm. through a crazy, crazy big data operation. While I was there, I also started a blog. Um, and that blog was called Hacking UI, a blog, a newsletter, a podcast. And I wanted to monetize it. It was totally a side project. I did it with uh, one of the TapDog co-founders, Sigi, who was a designer and I was a developer. Well, why did and you we guys create to... this? Why, why were you doing this side project? It just seems so um, random for me. Yeah, I mean, we, so Sigi had a blog in Hebrew about design and it was a really, really high quality blog. And I was constantly telling him, you've got to do it in English. You got to do it in English. Like this can be huge. And, um, we decided to start a project together, doing a blog about how designers and developers are working together. I was the development side, he was the design side, and we do it in English. Um, we worked on it for the better part of four or five years and, um, and even took an entrepreneurial angle as well, a side project angle. Um, but the whole thing about it was we wanted to monetize it. Sorry, and, I, I know that that's, that's the pivotal moment, but I still can't figure out why people who have created this big data company, who've been at SimilarWeb, another big data company, would be bloggers on the side. Was it a passion project? Did you see that as potentially being your next big business? Were you trying to learn? I, I'm trying to figure out why the two of you decided to go into that. So I would say there's two main things. Uh, definitely a passion project that we wanted to give back. I mean, developers and designers are all the time reading blog posts. I mean, that's how you learn about development for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, other people have decided to write down the stuff that they've experienced and share. And we wanted to do the same. We were doing cool stuff, really cool stuff. And we wanted to, to share about it. Um, the other thing was that we really liked the idea of side projects, making passive income or finding a way to, to um, 
to kind of support ourselves and, and live the life that we wanted to live. It was, I don't think that we thought that it was going to turn into like a billion dollar company, but we definitely saw traction and the possibility of turning it into like a really nice lifestyle business that could support us and allow us to choose what we wanted to work on. Okay. All right. And so now you were saying you had this audience, you switched to English, which grew the audience even more. And now you're trying to figure out how to get some money through advertising. What happened? Yeah. Um, so we started looking into options and we realized that for, it started with a, a B2B blog or B2B community that really respects the, the uh, blogger um, sharing their opinion about different products to use and stuff like that. It's really hard to get paid top dollar for ads. You're kind of stuck in using things that are, are incentivizing kind of clicks and they're not valuing that this click might be from, you know, the, the head of design at Microsoft, who if yeah. they agree to buy your product is bringing this tool into Microsoft, you know, for however many thousands of, of designers, or, um, you know, you're suggesting some DevOps tool for um, the CTO at, you know, a giant company. And those are the kind of people that we were able to access in our audience. And we weren't finding a way to use any sort of programmatic ad solution in order to get paid properly for it. So what we started doing was selling directly to the brands, the products that we were using ourselves, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think this is something that you came across yourself and you've done, you know, let me find the products that I like and reach out to them. And yeah, because to if, them. if I work with big, if I work with these big ad sales agencies that pitch me a lot, they want these low CPMs, which totally makes sense. It makes sense for a mattress company. It makes sense for, uh, um, I don't know what, um, like an athletics green type of thing where you it sells for what, 50 bucks per order. But if you're thinking about TopTal, which is reaching a head of a company that's hiring developers, that's like a 20, 50, $70,000 a year engagement is, is typical, right? And so for them, a higher CPM total makes sense. And the only way they know that buying an ad on Mixergy will get them the CEO that will make the decision for that is if I call them up directly, I totally understand what you're talking about. And I could see how you would have had that issue too. Case in point, I listen to your show a lot and we're going to spend probably four or five times that number that you just said on top tell this year from, you know, right. from listening to your show and basically hearing it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like if top tell was measuring that and saying, um, well, I got, you know, 12 clicks this time and I'm willing to pay $1 a click or whatever, then they, you know, they might do a single ad with you and they might not feel the results. But um, you can bring them someone who's going to spend two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year, if not more, right? And then tell all their friends about it who are going to do it too. And so you started and, going and the, directly to these companies to make your pitch why hacking UI would be a good spot for them. Exactly. The whole thing, the whole thing that we were pitching to them was that we actually like your product. We have an audience that would like your product. We believe in it, and we're willing to stand—not just willing. We want to stand in front of our audience. We want to endorse it. It's not something that's going to run on the side. It's not going to be like, you know, let's pause for a second. And then here's this random company that pops up and we know nothing about. No, we're going to stand in front of our audience. We're going to put our good name on the line and we're going to tell them that we believe they should buy your product. Yeah. And that endorsement carries beyond the actual placement. So how did ad sales go for you guys? So um, it pretty quickly started to go really well. Uh, keep in mind, this is a side project. And we started to do really targeted outreach. Um, you know, we didn't really know 
what that meant. We didn't know about SDRs or, or kind of, you know, building these type of funnels. Right. Um, we just looked up products that we liked and tried to find the people who work there in, in marketing or ad buying or whatever. And, um, and then reach out to them and make our case. Um, and it started going well enough that we said we should put some time into um, making this a real, you know, thinking about this process and optimizing it a bit. So one of the things that we did really quickly is we said, let's look at all of the content that's similar to us, that's similar to Hacking UI, and let's see which brands are sponsoring there, especially the ones that are coming up over and over, and the ones that we like, right? From that list of brands, let's find the ones that we like, and let's reach out to them. Okay. And we think we're going to have a good chance of getting them to buy. Okay. And so you put that together. This is super smart. How tough was it for you to put that together? Um, so the initial thing that we did was we signed up to the ton of email newsletters. We just had a Gmail account. Um, and we would, we would, um, basically just go pour through the inbox over and over and try to find the sponsors. Um, that combined with the fact that, you know, he's a designer, I was a developer and we wanted to do some cool stuff, um, led to some ideas of like, maybe we can make this better. Maybe we can build a product. Um, mm -hmm. and so when you were doing this for yourself, you told our producer at some point you hit a ceiling even still on what you could charge. And was it because I guess at some point you've hit whatever the price point is that your audience is worth to the sponsor and you don't have a bigger audience. And I'm imagining at that point, the next thought was how can we, if we're making a sale also sell the sponsor on buying ads on sites that are similar to ours. Is that right? Um, yeah, it, I mean, we could definitely charge much more than any programmatic ad solution could pay us per click or whatever, because these were effective ads, Right. but there still is a ceiling, right? There still yep. is a maximum audience size. And what we started doing was reaching out to kind of friends in the space who had similar design blogs, developer blogs, and saying, look, we already have the connection with Adobe, InDesign, you know, mm -hmm. these companies that are not that easy to get in touch with. We have been successful in selling them advertisements. And we think that we can go and sell them an ad in your uh, content as well. Yeah. And um, for many of these people, that was huge because, you know, first of all, a lot of them want to just create content and like they didn't enjoy this part of the business. Um, funny enough, I actually really enjoyed this part of the business. I didn't expect that going in. But a lot of them are like, look, I want to, I want to create content, and I don't want to be, you know, chasing yeah. people with emails and and doing the sales. Um, but we we basically went at the beginning to similar content and friends that we had, and it kind of grew from there organically into a little ad network for the design and development space. What did you like about doing it? Um, there's definitely a rush in sales that yeah, um, you to get to get a deal done is fun. Um, you know, there, then there's all the, the subtleties of, okay, I need to be successful and get the renewal, right? And that's also fun too. I mean, I think that when you know you're selling something that people are willing to pay you good money for, yeah, and it's working for them and it's valuable, that's a really good feeling. It is. And it's, and it's thousands of dollars as opposed to what we're used to with SaaS, which is a few dollars at a time. And so it's exciting every time you close a sale. Um I, I get it. Were you also process oriented and had a good system that kept it organized? So pretty soon, um, I we, we joined forces with 
uh, Dan Khan, who's my co-founder now in TapDog and uh, in Thought Leaders. Mm -hmm. And he came from SimilarWeb and built some of the really awesome sales processes that they had there, expanding it to Japan. And um, he came and kind of took the whole thing and got the processes and everything set up that, uh, that I had no idea how to do. What was your process? <laughs> what did he create? Um, an outreach system, a proper CRM, um, ways of measuring uh, sales and optimizing deals over time, looking into things like um, the uh, how long deals were taking and optimizing that, um, optimizing for renewals, when to do renewals, um, and also how to grow, right? Always looking at how do we get the average deal size up and, and, and continue to grow mm -hmm. the business. You know what? I feel. I wonder if there. I guess there must be um, consultants who help businesses set that up. I remember the founder of SendGrid was a longtime fan of Mixergy, and I had him on. And then suddenly he was replaced. And when I asked why, why was he replaced? Um, the the big answer was we've been doing sales well, but not in an organized way. And if we could get organized, we could actually grow sales of this service so much more. SendGrid sends uh, helps companies send out email. Uh, all right, I got um, I got where you were with this. So now you're good at sales. You've got an agency, and you're saying uh, to our producer that some people look down on you for having an agency. And I I know Gary Vaynerchuk told me that same thing happened to him. What was it? Um, what was the feedback you were getting, and why did you decide to stick with this? Well, for us, it, there was something really important um, in this business and thought leaders, and we wanted to bootstrap the business. Um, I really wanted to make a business that was profitable, that people were willing to pay money for and, um, and would return because we were delivering a service that had a lot of value to them. Now, what we always wanted to do though, was turn that into a product and technology. And um, an agency was an amazing way to do that because from an agency, you can make money from day one, right? Um, you have to be good at it, but you, essentially without technology, you can make money. And then what we started doing was adding tech all along the way, only internally at first, but for our agency. And that became the secret sauce of our agency. And once that tech got good enough that we were able to um, make it self-service, we started selling the tech itself to other people. What's the tech uh, that internally that you built? I'm imagining it's more CRM related, but it's also about analyzing content, right? Yeah, so we call it a sponsorship intelligence platform. We're mm -hmm. scraping tons and tons of content on YouTube, on podcasts, email newsletters, blogs. Um, in probably two months or so, three months. In, in Q2, we're adding Twitch as well. Um, and what we're doing inside of that content is we're looking for where brands are appearing inside of the actual native content itself. And what we're able to do is analyze that and understand where um, brands are repeating and thus where they're succeeding inside of that content. And you can take that and layer on top of it, all sorts of different analysis. So mm -hmm. you can look into other podcasters and see, um, in the cases that they have brands repeating, what kind of ads are they doing? What kind of call to actions do they have? What different ad formats are working, which aren't. So for example, I noticed Skillshare on a lot of educational podcasts that last 10 minutes and the ads are at the end. And so if Masterclass were to follow along and say that's working for them, they might look for other educational content, maybe even the exact same ones and put their ads on in the end, right? Totally. So it gets even more um, uh, 
cutthroat than that, if you will. They can look within it. They can see which one Skillshare is repeating when, right? They can see that um, these are the educational po- podcasters that were working for them. These are the ones that weren't. Mm. They can understand the similarities between them. And then if Masterclass, for example, let's say they were starting yep. their marketing budget for the first time ever today, rather than go, the way it normally works is a company starts a marketing budget. They know they're going to spend and essentially waste a bunch of money at the beginning testing stuff out. Right. Well, well, with thought leaders, what they can do is they can basically see where their competition has already tested stuff and failed and not make the same mistakes. That makes sense. And you know what? And maybe Masterclass is a bad example because they like to show their polished videos. And so they prefer to buy directly, but a Udemy might and a competing marketplace to them. Oh, you know who it is? Uh, Curiosity Stream could do that. Mm-hmm right? Where they're targeting the same type of customer. But this is essentially what you built when you were just running the agency. Yeah. I mean, we've been building this um, in pieces for the past three years or so. Okay. Um, and um, I mean, we always wanted to get it to the point where we can sell it and it could stand alone as a SaaS. But um, it wasn't that we had this exact vision of what we have today from day one. You know, we weren't quite that good. All right. You mentioned that uh, you didn't want to raise money and you brought up your previous company, TapDog, a couple of times. I think we'll come back from the sponsorship break. And I want to ask you about what happened at TapDog and why did you decide that you didn't want to raise money for this business? But my first and only sponsor is HostGator. What is it that you like about my sponsor uh, ads or in general? What do you what do you like about sponsor reads done by hosts? Yeah. So I was telling you before this, I mean, I think you are the case study of how podcasts should be doing sponsorships is that you're willing to stand in front of your audience and endorse that brand, right? I mean, you've been doing HostGator as a sponsor for forever, (laughs) right? And you're doing that because it's working for them for sure. And because you're willing to use it yourself, right? You're talking about Mm -hmm. how you're using it yourself. And um, you have the exact understanding of how your audience should be using it. And I think there's no better ad than that. I mean, I'm listening to your show because I respect you. I, I believe in you and what you're doing. And then you tell me to try this product. Of course, I'm going to try it. I've got to tell you that there's one period there where HostGator was not sponsoring. And I hope that I know that they're okay with this because they, they've heard me say this before. We got feedback from the audience that HostGator was not responding to customer service issues. We said, okay, we're going to pause these ads. We can't, we can't actually, uh, Sachet at the time was running the ads and he just canceled them. He said, we can't work with you. They said, well, why not? This is working out well. He said, it's working out well for us at Mixergy, for you at HostGator, but we have some customers who are not getting customer service responded to fast enough. They said, tell us who. We sent them a list of every single person. They went in and created a response for us to how they handled every, sing- every single one of the, res- the complaints that we had. And it was all about not enough, res- not enough uh, response from HostGator at a fast enough time because they were going through some transition. And they fixed it for every one of our customers. We brought them back. And not only have they been on it since then, but you might have heard that there was uh, that big storm in Austin, Texas. Well, they have a lot of people in Austin, Texas. A lot of their infrastructure is dependent on Austin, Texas. There was not a single hip hiccup for me and I didn't hear a single complaint. And so, yes, we brought them back. And yes, we've been following along to make sure that it's uh, working. And yes, we absolutely, by we, I mean, not just me, but everyone on our team just says, is this a good product? Are we getting customer service complaints or compliments? And if we're getting complaints, we don't need to work with them. If it's compliments, we do. All right. 
I don't uh, think I need to say any more. If you're listening to me, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. You'll get the lowest price they have available. Great service that I use. And yes, it will scale with you. That is the lowest price they have, but they'll give you all the features and growth that you need. I know that we've been growing with them and I'm happy that they're hosting with us. Hostgator.com slash Mixergy. The idea for uh, TapDog, that uh, goes back to when? What was the original idea? Yeah, um, so the original idea was we, we had a company called Multa, which was a uh, crowdfunding for, for dares or challenges. And um, we, we realized that we had a really awesome team, an amazing team, uh, and we were really good at watching what all of our competition was doing. And we were staying up on that, trying to see what uh, Kickstarter was doing. This was back in like 2012, um, Indiegogo, and you know all the other crowd-starting platforms, we were watching them like crazy. Uh, but what we weren't really good at at all was um, was B two C. We you know, we had no idea how to get people to do challenges and to really um, blow up an audience for it. So what happened was we got accepted into a startup accelerator program, an amazing program, uh, Upwest Labs, in San Francisco, and we got to the accelerator and we're just like you know trying this, trying that. We pivoted a ton with Multa. And um, said like, look, like we know we kind of got like a big shot here. We're in this accelerator program. We got some money left, um, not a whole lot. So we got to make the best use of it really quickly. But maybe we should just go after this competitive intelligence thing that we're actually, we're all really good at. And uh, we spoke to the investors and, and they were for it. They said, go with it, run with it. Because they believed in you and the team. And they said, even though you've got this idea, multi, you're, co-founder Noam Schwartz called it Kickstarter meets jackass. Essentially, yeah. what are people willing to do for money? What's, what's some of the craziest things that were on Multa? What do you remember? Oh, we had funny stuff. Um, uh, people getting uh, slapped in the face with like a giant fish in like a, um, like a street market and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but actually, we, it, we took a twist with it. One of the pivots we did was to try to turn into something uh, crowdfunding for challenges more than dare. So it was like for charities. So it was people running um, a marathon or doing um, the ice bucket challenge was big back then. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of these. And so if they were willing to dump a bucket of ice on their heads, then the crowd would give them, would give their favorite charity something. Got it. Exactly. Right. All yeah. right. That's one of the pivots. Um, and so the trans, the next big pivot after you got accepted into the accelerator was to say, look, this isn't really working but we're good at getting data. We are so up on what Kickstarter and other crowdsourcing sites are doing. That could be a business and a service that we offer other businesses. What were you, what's the data that you were thinking of selling when you pivoted? Um, so we were looking into all sorts of stuff, like um, what positions were they filling on LinkedIn? We thought that maybe that could tell you if, if they're hiring you know, a, a person with a certain expertise, then they're trying to build a product that you know, isn't public yet. Uh, we were looking into all sorts of things related to their web traffic, to social accounts, followers, um, really just trying to pull, stitch it all together. And what could and you do with all that? that? What's that? What could you do with all that? It's still just a whole lot of data. How do you make sense of it? And then what kind of action can you take based on that? Totally. So this was one of the things that, that we were really trying to solve for. Um, was it a consulting tool, let's say, like kind of an automatic um, uh, BCG kind of tool? Mm -hmm. Or was it something that was more actionable for like a day-to-day -day marketer? 
Um, and we really struggled with, with kind of with defining that and figuring out exactly where it was. Was it these big, like high level decisions for C-level or something that someone could say, I'm going to run uh, this type of marketing campaign or do this to grow users? What'd you end up deciding on? Um, to be honest, I think we kind of, we kind of straddled both, but what really um, got us to similar web was leaning more towards, okay, this needs to be actionable. Like we knew that it was going to be tough. Um, especially for a small startup starting out to sell to, you know, basically the C level on the the promise that like we have some long-term insight for you to shape your business, as opposed to going, here's some day-to-day action you can take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's always a challenge. I will find that because I'm so into research, people with new companies that are research-based will will hit me up and say, Andrew, we can put research together for you on your guests. And they do a great job, but it's way too much research and I don't even know what to do with it. And I love going into research. You know what I mean? And so yeah, I've actually heard you say before that you have to set timers for yourself to, to stop uh, right. your research rabbit holes. Because I will. I'll spend so long going down those rabbit holes. But as much as I love it, I often can't make sense of these big PDFs that people send me. And they say, Andrew, do you think this is worth $25? It's definitely $25, more than $25 worth of work, but I don't know what to do with it at the end. And when I have too much data and I don't know what to do with it, it creates even more anxiety. You guys um, eventually sold to SimilarWeb largely because they like the team, right? They said, you can put together research. You can, you can organize data, right? We want you on. It's not like they wanted to keep the tap dog product, right? No, totally. I mean, it it was an aqua hire. I mean, we got, everyone got a nice bonus, um, you know, good jobs. uh, But I mean, it was all about the team. Um, What, with the caveat that we were doing something similar. So they also knew that we, we knew the space really well. Um, But, um, but yeah, I mean, they, that's what they wanted. (laughs) Okay. And so then what is it about that experience that made you say, I don't want funding. It seems like you benefited from funding. You got credibility, you got into an accelerator, you got introductions. Yeah. um, I wanted to, not chase investors and be able to build the product that people would pay for, that I can go directly to the customer and they would pay for it from from day one. Uh, What I didn't like so much was kind of selling people on this dream where, yeah, you have to, I think running any business, you have to have a a long-term vision and you have to to have a dream. And and maybe even that dream can be a little irrational or maybe it should be a little irrational, right? Um, But I like having something that's also grounded in the fact that we're delivering real value and we're not just kind of pumping um, up this investment with another investment and another investment without actually getting to the end user and saying, we've delivered something to you that you're willing to pay for. Okay. And so now you're starting to get into software. When I go to Hacking UI, Sagi's name's at the top, not yours. It seems like he ended up running that business and you ended up running Thought Leaders. Am I right? Yeah, so we we split in 2016. Um, Sagi really liked the content side of it. And, and like I told you, I didn't know I would have a passion for it, but I really liked the sales and the business side of it. So um, I took that. Uh, Dan Khan joined me and um, Michal Sella, who we worked with at SimilarWeb as well, uh, and R&D there, joined as well. And the three of us built out thought leaders um, with the intention of doing something really cool with content and sponsorship intelligence. We started it 
all from the spinning out of Hacking UI as a media agency that from day one, we can sell, we can buy and sell advertising. The first version of the product that you were able to sell, how long into, into uh, the business was that? The service, so, uh, the software, not the service. Yeah, so we technically, what we, all right, so what we did was we, at the beginning, we just had an agency, nothing that a client could see, no tech that a client could see. And then what we started doing was we would sell budgets, media budgets to clients, but we would give them access to the software. So in some ways you could say we were technically selling the software there. I mean, it, from their point of view, it was de definitely a reason that they were joining the agency. It wasn't yet good enough for them to say, I'm willing just to pay you cash for this software. Like I need you to run some media and handle this stuff, these, the service for me as well. Um, but in June of last year, we did a really soft, kind of like a beta launch, if you will, um, a soft launch of the SaaS as a standalone product. And that was only to um, past clients, uh, current clients, um, people in our network, creators that we had worked with or, or were working with. And then in January of this year, we, that was our official SaaS launch and, you know, open the doors, let's go, let's sell this thing totally self-service. How much is it? I'm looking think, at your pricing page and I don't see any prices. I see basic yeah. pro enterprise. What's the basic plan cost? The basic plan is right now, and we're constantly raising the price by the way, but um, right now the basic is going for 2,500 a year. Okay. Um, the pro is going for, I want to say 7,500 a year and the enterprise around uh, 15,000 a year. Depends exactly what the enterprise has inside of it. Have you started to reach out to people beyond your current customer list? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, January 1st was our, let's blow the doors off this thing, let's sell it and let's go. Um, we have um, a sales team, an outreach team, and they're you know reaching out to everyone. What, yeah, what's your process for getting customers? Can you say that again, Andrew? How do you, how do you get customers, David? So we use our own platform. Um, so what they're doing is they're looking through both the creator side and the brand side. They're looking for brands that are sponsoring and they're saying, we have some real insights for you. If you're, you're already doing a sponsorship program and this is how we can make you better. We know uh, that so, you did. Yeah, we know that you've been buying all these ads at these places. We wanna show you how you could do better and you're giving them free data in order to, like a sample, am I right? Yeah, um, so it depends on the brand. I mean, it's really, mm -hmm. really custom outreach. So it could be, um, you know, you're doing this, but your competitor is doing that. And if you, you know, copy or looked into what the, your competitor is doing, you know, you can make some improvements here. It could be that um, um, you're, you're a creator and we see that your um, fill rate for your show for sponsorships is, you know, 10%, but similar creators are coming in. These similar creators that have similar content uh -huh. is, um, you know, 50%. These are the brands that they're getting, and this is how you can get them. And you're specifically targeting the people who are doing a lot of ads, both, both running ads or, uh, or taking ads? So it depends what you mean by a lot, right? We definitely have a sweet spot. Um, we're looking for companies that have, for, who have a budget for optimizing their program. But at the same time, what we found is that there's crazy benefit to a company starting to use something like Thought Leaders early on in their marketing spend. And the reason for that is because when companies find creators that work for them, when a brand says, this mm -hmm. thing has been successful for me, they're able to stick with that creator for a long, long time and build a partnership 
like you know that you've done with many of your clients right. that's really successful for them and predictable. And that's the thing that brands are looking for, right? They want predictable marketing spend that they know is going to be ROI positive. So if you do it early on, then let's say um, a brand does 10 tests at the beginning, 10 different creators they try out. If we can help a brand be successful on six of those tests instead of just five or four that they might've done on their own, those extra one or two that they were successful on early on turn into thousands and thousands of predictable marketing dollars mm. throughout the lifetime of their program. You know what I'd love to see? And I maybe you're doing it and I don't know it, but like top charts, who's the top newsletter uh, subscribe? Who's the top newsletter sponsor? Who's the top podcast sponsor? You know what I mean? Even by categories, those types of things are just so interesting to read. Yeah, yeah, totally. So actually on our site, we have um, some really rudimentary leaderboards mm -hmm. for the different uh, formats for newsletter, for podcast, for YouTube. Um, and then within our paid platform, you can filter it by you know, whatever you want. You can go month by month. You can go um, within um, certain uh, categories, locations, languages. What I, what I mean is we could do that, but remember when similar web started putting out these press releases to say, here are the top sites. Here's what you, here's, what's interesting in the world. Here's how even porn sites compared to social media, social media is now more popular than porn, right? All those little insights that people wouldn't have thought to go look for made for such interesting reading. And then finally, um, I think that the awareness of similar web caught up with how powerful it was for generating that kind of insight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things um, you know that happened at Similar Web when I was there, going to, to your point of the awareness kind of catching up with the power, um, was they had a really cheap um, um, basic level plan mm -hmm. and got rid of that because I mean it was it was way too powerful. Um, so yeah, I mean Similar Web the free version was was amazing uh, and definitely built you know the company into the powerhouse it is today. Right. But over time, it became like. All right, this is really good information. We should charge a lot more for it. I know. When I first got it, it was like, it's frankly, just using the free one was so mind blowing. The guests at the end of an interview would say, how did you know where my traffic was coming from? And I'd say similar web and they say, what? And I'd have to say, it's like Alexa, which back then was a thing before it became a speaker, was a, an analytics company, but it's more detailed. And then I do like these screen shares to show them because they couldn't believe how powerful it was. I feel like that's where you guys are now with thought leaders, but maybe that's because the software is, is still in its infancy. We're talking about a two month and three day old software, right? As far as it's standing on its own. Yeah. I mean, that's our official SaaS launch was really only exactly like you said a couple months ago. And when you were working at an agency, the way that you got more customers was by just seeing what, can you walk me through where you found your customers and what your sales process was since you guys were so good at it? Maybe there's some insight that we can copy. Um, yeah, I mean, what we were looking for was people that were already doing advertising. For, for the agency, the best customers are people that have an existing program. For the SaaS, we're looking for people that are maybe just starting out, right? Not, not, not exclusively, but that's mm -hmm. one, one area that we can really help. Um, but with the agency, we want people with an existing budget. And what we can do is we can see, okay, let's track um, these YouTube channels or these newsletters or these podcasts, uh, podcasts that we know um, brands are repeating in over and over. And let's find those brands and let's reach out to them with some sort of insight about things that they're not doing yet. This is for SaaS, but when you were working at the agency, you said- The agency as well. The same thing. So it's always yeah. who's buying the most ads. And then can we start off by saying we've got some insights because our software has been scraping and analyzing uh, the types of content that you're sponsoring. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, to be to be clear, the the, the process for outreach on the agency is is really similar to the SaaS, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why it's been successful for us really quickly. Also, some of our SaaS clients are agencies that want to do the same exact thing. How uh, how many SDRs do you guys have who are drumming a business like this? We have two full time SDRs. Um, and then we also have a sales team, which is about to be five people now, five account executives, and they're doing, um, outreach as well. Not exclusively, but they are doing some outreach. You're an American. How'd you end up in Israel? Wow. Good question. (laughs) Um, after I graduated from college, I wanted to kind of travel a little bit, but not um, I guess digital nomad, if you will, this is like 2012 and mm-hmm. I didn't really know that it, what, what I wanted to do. Um, so I wanted to go around the world, live somewhere for a little while and, and then maybe move on if I didn't like it. And, um, I went to Tel Aviv, uh, and just fell in love with it. And I didn't go on anywhere else <laughs> ever since then. Uh, I met great people. I joined, um, Multa and then tap dog, you know, met my best friends here, met my wife here. Um, and it really just kind of snowballed after, you know, six months, a year, nine years, I did not plan it. It did somehow at some point become like one of the international cities to be in if you are in tech. And I, I don't know when that happened because I think for a while there was Haifa that was the place where all the tech companies were, right? But nobody gets excited about living in, in well, living in a, in those types of, in, I don't know Haifa at all, so I can't say it, but it feels like it's more like the, the big corporations that are there. Right. And that's not the exciting place that you leave your family and go live in. Yeah. Haifa has some really nice, uh, really good universities. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of hardware there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, exactly like you said, a lot of the larger companies, uh, the Intel, Microsoft, um, but Tel Aviv, I mean, has just exploded. Even since I've been here, I got here in 2012. And I mean, it definitely had a startup scene, a really solid one when I got mm-hmm. here. But I mean, what it has now is crazy. I think I saw um, uh, a post on LinkedIn yesterday. I want to say that there's something like 55, don't call me on the exact number, but something in this range is really founded unicorns right now. Keeping in mind that there was like several IPOs of the past few years. So those unicorns kind of went off the list because now they're public companies. (laughs) Who, um, who should we know about that? We may not know about that's one of these unicorns. Um, who you don't know about is a good question. Um, who's the similar web of now for a long time, people didn't realize how big they were. So there's a lot of stuff happening in fintech, which is which is blowing up here. Um, Tipalti is, I think, a two and a half billion dollar company, Israeli company. What's Tipalti? Um, not sure. They do uh, payments. We're actually uh, a client. Automation um, meets global mass payments. Yeah, yeah, and we're a client. Really good product. Really solid service. Um, and yeah, I think the two and a half billion dollar valuation. Uh, I'm assuming but, that's how I mean, you pay your creators, right? So you don't have to do it yeah. yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That is a headache to do. Well, they, they handle the compliance, they handle the payouts and they give the creators all sorts of options of like um, currency conversions that they want, different payment methods. Yeah, no, that's one of those things that you just don't realize is an issue until you start paying more than a hundred people. And then you say, this is terrible. This is terrible, especially it internationally. It gets bad before a hundred, trust me. <laughs> oh, is that right? 
Yeah, once you start doing a couple of different countries and different currencies and different payout methods, I mean, it's bad. Even even a handful is like, you need a solution. I know my previous company, we had a bunch of affiliates and we insisted on doing everything ourselves. And I remember these random issues would pop up. Like we'd, we'd send out checks and there's one person who decided that they were going to erase the numbers off the checks and then add their own numbers to it. And somehow the bank caught that. And I, I don't know how they would have caught it, but they said, this just doesn't make sense. And they kicked it out, which was phenomenal for us, but kind wow. of scary too. Yeah. Like catch me if you can stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was so freaking clever. It wasn't like they said a million dollars and a million dollars would have triggered some alert. It was, it was enough to be reasonable, but not right. Wow. We, um, all right, let, let me close out with this. You're a guy who started out as a kid. Um, you wanted to be a journalist, but there was so much entrepreneurial entrepreneurial energy in you. You told our producer that you wanted, or you, your parents brought bought you the expensive SAT prep course. And then what did you do when you took that course? I, I feel like it gives us an insight into you and the possibilities that you see in the world. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so I didn't take the course that seriously myself. I got you know all the the home study kit and all the books and all of that. Um, but what I did the following summer with a, a good friend is we started a business using those materials that my parents paid for, for me to take the SAT teaching SAT prep to other people. So what we would do is around, um, my living room at home on the ping pong table, we kind of put like a tablecloth on it. We would host SAT study sessions where parents would drop their kids over at my house wow. and pay us, um, I don't remember exactly how much it was, but it was like really good money for, for us then. I mean, I think, I think we were getting like, I want to say like 50, 75 bucks for like an hour or two session, you know, for multiple kids. I and, could see paying um, that. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was like 16 years old with my, my partner doing this and um, yeah, it turned into a really nice business. What were your SAT scores? I think, I don't remember exactly. I, I think it was like maybe a, 14 something, 1480. Okay. At a 1600, like right? Were you a yeah. smart kid? You were. Uh, I like to think so. <laughs> I thought so too, but I wasn't Let's necessarily so. I, smart I did in the well school, in school sense. You did. I did. I did well in school growing up. Um, yeah. But um, I always like to push the line. Like what I found, what I really considered a good achievement was if I did just well enough to get like an A like uh -huh. 90% on a test was my goal. It's like, why? There's no reason to get a 94. Don't study, you know, why, why would it, those extra four points don't do anything for me? So I always wanted to get just enough to be, uh, to get the passing uh, grade there. <laughs> I want to get as much as I could, but I also felt like it was so irrelevant. Now that I've got kids and you've got what, like six month old now, right? Yeah. You're going to start to think about this. I don't want to give them all the, all the things that I hated as a, as a kid. I feel like we don't have to do. <clears throat> and Olivia and I are thinking about going to Austin, which is then opening up all these other schools for us. And there've been some really innovative approaches to education and I'm all in for it. I want that for my kids. I want something that fits them better than my school fit for me. Have, are there any specific ones that you've been, uh, that you've been thinking about? <clears throat> okay. Here's one. Um, Gagan Biani, uh, the creator of um, a bunch of companies, Sprig and Udemy, he messaged me a connection to his friend who created Alpha. What Alpha does is they say, look, every kid needs to learn at their own pace and is interested in their own things. What we're going to do is 
we're going to hand them, and this sounds shocking, we're going to hand them a computer for two hours with apps that are customized to their reading level, their math skills, their interests, et cetera, so that they could learn from that. And the guide watches how they do and keeps adjusting that. And then, so that way they get everything customized to them. So why should two kids be in the same exact math class learning from the same exact uh, the textbook when they each have different approaches, right? And then they have teachers who they call guides who will run experiments with them, who'll give them space to try things out. And then they also get entrepreneurial with them where they give kids something called alpha bucks. So if you do well, if you, if you progress well, you get these bucks, which you can then go and buy stuff from their store. So there's all these innovations around it. There's no desks the way that we think about them. Kids can sit in whatever environment they want to. Um, I don't think I'm doing them justice, but you can see how they're breaking free of the box in some ways a little bit shocking. Like I said, the iPad is, is a bit of a turnoff for us, but I'm still, I'm still into it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. We actually just signed up um, our, uh, my son to uh, Montessori preschool. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, definitely the, the six month version of this is different for them. I'm sure the older kids, but um, sounds like similar kind of methodology that each kid, you know, does things at their own pace. And I want them to love to learn and to also, in many ways, be accommodated if they have interests or if they have frustrations. And yes, I do think that they should be accommodated. And I think when we were in school, they would have said, come on, Andrew, who are you so special that we should teach you what you want? But I was interested. What, what are stocks? Tell me that. Teach me that stuff. Don't teach me the stuff I don't care about. All right. Finally, bottom line. Now, if I want to go and find sponsors like uh, Better Health, so I'm going to type in Better Health. I'm going to see where BetterHelp sponsors, and then I'm going to reach out to them through you. Let me see. Better. No, it's BetterHelp. BetterHelp. I think BetterHelp should be a sponsor. There it is. Look at this. They have 718 yeah, it, thought leaders that they're working We're going to go check on HostGator with. if that domain's available. Now, BetterHelp. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for doing this. And the website for everyone who's interested is thoughtleaders.io. I think what you should do is just start typing in brands that you like and that you want to see if you could work with and type in creators that you might want to uh, advertise on. I keep looking down because it's so freaking captivating to see. Like, I don't know who this Optimal Living Daily is, but they're, they're doing a bunch of ads with them. All right. Your site is so captivating. I feel like uh, once people start getting into it, they're going to love digging into the data, typing people in, seeing where they advertise, and just spying on people in some ways. Thanks so much for Thanks being on here. All right. And Thanks. thank you, HostGator, for sponsoring. If you're interested in getting good hosting, do what I did. I went to HostGator. Go sign up at HostGator.com slash Mixergy. They'll take great care of you. Thanks. Bye, David. Bye.